Welcome to Relationship Workout for Many, a podcast dedicated to helping men be intentional in choosing a better partner and being a better partner for the person they choose. Season 14, Episode 5, Learn Your Trigger Patterns. In this episode, we discuss Relationship Workout Communication Skill Number 4, Learn Your Trigger Patterns. Since few of us are completely free of all our internal demons, we will all get triggered at some point. For some of us, this is rare. For others, being triggered is a multiple times a day occurrence. In addition, the intensity of each trigger event can also differ depending on the circumstance. Sometimes the trigger feels a bit like a minor annoyance, while other times we can feel like we're exploding from within. In any case, we all must accept that if you're going to be in a relationship with someone, then that person and ourselves will at some point, and likely many times, get triggered. The question is, what do you do when this happens? For instance, when she gets triggered, do you allow her being triggered to trigger a demon within you? Or do you allow the event to help you gain further insights, enhancing your wisdom? Clearly, we'd all like to be hanging with our wisdom versus dancing with our demons. So the first steps in hanging with your wisdom are three skills discussed in the previous episodes of the season. One, set the cooperative intention. For instance, remind yourselves that you care for each other and are on the same team even when things go sideways. Two, don't take what the other person is saying personally. For instance, stay receptive instead of becoming defensive. And three, be aware of your communication style. For instance, reinforce that you truly do care about her and the relationship through your nonverbal cues. When you do this, you make it easier for yourself to observe that your partner is triggered. From this vantage point, and especially after observing her being triggered over multiple occurrences, you'll start to recognize the first signs of what she's like when she's triggered. One thing you'll probably notice is that when she gets triggered, her behavior often shows itself in some form of anger. In fact, her triggered behavior will probably fall into one or both of the following fundamental categories. One, fight, aggressively attack through aggressive anger tactics such as yelling, rage, intimidation, blaming, threats, bickering, criticism, sarcasm, or nagging, or defensive anger tactics such as denying wrongdoing or turning the blame on you, or two, flight, passively retreat through passive anger tactics such as giving you the silent treatment, crying, guilt trips, backstabbing, or deliberately trying to irritate you, or avoidance anger tactics such as denying she's angry. Therefore, if she's aggressively attacking you or passively retreating, then learn to recognize these as warning signs, like seeing her head exploded in full-on volcanic eruption, that she's indeed triggered. To do this, you both need to learn about each other's hot buttons. The more you observe from a non-triggered vantage point, over time, you'll start to see a pattern of surface-level hot buttons that tend to trigger her. Of course, hot buttons can span a wide range of circumstances, from easily flying off the handle when under a lot of pressure to getting royally irritated anytime something is forgotten. The list of potential hot buttons can literally span the list of all things said, not said, done, and not done. In other words, just about any behavior or lack of behavior can be a hot button for someone. Interestingly, she'll have a unique set of hot buttons that are triggered by your unique behavior. For instance, you may be the first person she's ever dated that constantly forgets to turn off the bathroom light or leaves a wet towel lying around after a shower. Consequently, she's experiencing unique behavior that's triggering her for the first time. 
In any case, the pattern you'll start to see is the hot buttons are almost always related to an expectation. You should know better than to ask more of her when she's under so much pressure. Or you should hang up your wet towel. After all, I'm not your mother. Of course, understanding hot buttons from the surface level is all well and good, but it can help to take a step closer to uncover what's going on underneath. To do that, it helps to understand that weak behavior is often driven by fear. In fact, if you look at the fight or flight anger responses to being triggered, you'll recognize these as responses to fear. For example, a person might be afraid of not being smart enough and being made out to look like some kind of fool. If this is the case, then a person might be afraid of feeling both humiliated and not good enough if she can't get all her work done. As a result, she could act hostile towards you, fight, if you try to put further demands on her. Our fears, in turn, are often driven by how we want to feel in the relationship. For instance, if it's important to you to feel appreciated by your partner, you may carry a fear that your acts of kindness towards her will be taken for granted. In this case, your hot button might be her not showing you what you expect to be an appropriate level of gratitude for your gifts. As another example, if you want to feel competent alongside your partner, you might have a fear that she's going to portray you to be like, well, some sort of idiot or subpar individual in front of your friends. In this case, your hot button might be her complaining about you either to your face, making you feel devalued, or to her friends, making you feel humiliated. In any case, a person's sensitivity to these fears often aligns with unhealed wounds that have turned into demons. This can explain attachments to desired feelings and accompanied fears. For example, if I was hurt by a parent who constantly humiliated me, which is my unhealed wound, I can still carry a fear of humiliation, which is my demon. Now, every time I feel embarrassed, these feelings get amplified because I feel the unhealed wound from childhood all over again. These desired feelings and accompanied fears can influence compatibility between two people. For instance, if you have a strong desire to feel appreciated and your partner has a strong sense of entitlement that you do all the giving, well then your compatibility can be dicey at best. Indeed, you may wrestle with feelings like she doesn't show enough appreciation while she may complain that you don't make her enough of a priority. To help us get a better sense of how behavior influences compatibility, Dr. Will Schultz created a tool called FIRO Theory, which stands for Fundamental Interpersonal Relations Orientation, which describes three primary behaviors that influence compatibility. One, control, which is about how much you want to influence others and how much you want them to influence you. Two, openness, which is about how comfortable you are talking about yourself and how much you want to hear about what's going on for the other person. And three, inclusion, which is about how comfortable you are with others. Some people tend to be more introverted, while others tend to be more extroverted. We all have preferences in these three areas. It's important to realize that there's no right or wrong levels. We're just all different. That said, red flags fly if a person becomes rigid in his or her level of inclusion, control, or openness. These red flags exist because our behaviors don't come out of thin air. For instance, the FIRO model states that our behavior is typically driven by our underlying fears. These fears, in turn, are driven by how we want to feel in the relationship. For instance, if your partner becomes rigid with control, for example, she becomes extremely controlling, well then she might be struggling with the fear of being humiliated. 
this fear might be driven by a desire to feel competent. Likewise, if she becomes rigid in her openness, well, this might reflect a fear of being rejected, which might stem from a desire to be liked. Similarly, rigidity in inclusion might expose a fear of being ignored, which might be driven by a desire to feel significant. Let's investigate each one of these three examples in more detail. One, the need to feel competent drives a fear of being humiliated, which drives behavior of control. For starters, we all want to feel competent, right? Nobody wants to feel like an idiot around his or her partner. In parallel, though, many of us might struggle with the fear that we will feel humiliated, devalued, and told directly or indirectly that we're incompetent by our partner. Perhaps we have unhealed wounds from our parents who used shame as an emotional punishment for being bad. Perhaps our parents frequently criticized us while rarely praising us. In any case, fears of being humiliated can drive a person's need to have control. At one extreme, a person can become a total control freak, thinking the more he or she controls the situation and the other person, the less risk of being humiliated. At the other extreme, a person can over-rotate and never take on any responsibilities. By not having responsibilities, a person can't be blamed for screwing up and being incompetent. As an example, let's say you're trying to discuss an issue that you feel that your partner is being way too controlling and that this behavior is getting in the way of cooperating. If this is the case, it might help to take a step back and ponder if she's struggling with the fundamental question, does this issue somehow make her feel like she might be incompetent? If this is the case, tread lightly and be extra careful not to criticize her in words and body language. You might ask her if you're making her feel somewhat incompetent. The second example, the need to feel likable drives the fear of being rejected, which drives behavior of openness. Of course, most to all of us want to feel like. Few to nobody is walking around begging to be hated. In parallel though, we may struggle with the fear of being rejected if we open up. Perhaps we have unhealed wounds from our parents showing little interest in the things we found important, making us feel like we're not good enough. In any case, fears of being rejected can influence a person's comfort level with openness. At one extreme, if a person is worried that he or she will be rejected, then while the person may stay very private and not disclose much. At the other extreme, a person might over-rotate by disclosing way too much information up front so he or she will be rejected before the new date can invest much time and energy into the new relationship. For example, let's say you're dating someone who comes across very closed off. Perhaps you feel she doesn't share much with you about her life, or she's just not very open in the bedroom, or she doesn't have many close friends with whom she feels comfortable sharing her innermost and potentially darkest secrets. If this is the case, perhaps she's questioning whether she's a likable and good person. For instance, many women struggle being completely open about sex. Some are afraid they'll be rejected by their lover for not being a good enough lover, while others fear rejection by God himself for being too sexual. And the third example is the need to feel significant drives a fear of being ignored, which drives behavior of inclusion. Finally, we all want to feel significant to our partner. Nobody dreams about a partner who makes them feel insignificant, unimportant, and not a priority. In parallel though, many of us might struggle with fears of being ignored and not being made a priority. These fears might actually be unhealed wounds that originate from our past conditioning when we felt abandoned, neglected, 
and are somehow significant. For instance, perhaps a parent physically abandoning you during a divorce, leaving to start a different family. Or perhaps a parent was still around, but you were often left on your own as a parent was constantly absent, choosing instead to make his or her career or alcohol a priority. In any case, fears of being ignored can then influence one's behavior around inclusion. On one extreme, a person can try to be the extrovert, the life of the party, so he or she won't ever feel ignored. At the other extreme, a person can behave as an extreme introvert so that no one will be given the opportunity to ignore him or her. For example, let's say you're dating someone who never seems to want to go out with your friends and family. This could be a sign that she fears being rejected by them and or being ignored by you as you give your friends and family all your attention. If this is the case, it might help to talk about how she feels when around your friends and family. You might discover you need to work harder at including her in the conversations. So with that, we wrap up relationship workout communication skill number four, learn your trigger patterns. In the next episode, we explore relationship workout communication skill number five, stay in the present moment. <music>